Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. In 2019, I read six books cover to cover. Furthermore, I listened to six audiobooks in their entirety from beginning to end. That's 12 books. What do you think of that? Now, I love books. I love reading. And I love that I got to enjoy 12 books. And I fully recognize that some of you uh, read like 50 books this past year. And so you are not impressed with that. But maybe, maybe some of you read just maybe one or no, no books this year. And so you're like, all right, I'm a little impressed. 12 books. But what if I told you that in 2019, it was my goal, it was my resolution to read, not 12, but 25 books. Now, what do you think? Well, now it doesn't matter if you read 60 books, zero books, or one book, like 12, that's a complete letdown. I'm a utter failure. Like, dude, you didn't even read half of the books that you said you were going to read. That's right, I didn't. <laughs> That was my resolution last year, and it's going to be again this year. This is the time of year where a lot of people set goals. They set resolutions uh, for the new year. But give it a few weeks, and the resolutions, they'll be broken. Give it a few more weeks after that, and most of those goals will be forgotten. And I don't mean to be a pessimist to start out this morning, but if every single person in this room set a resolution for the entire year, do you know how many of us would keep that resolution and achieve that goal by the end of the year? Any guesses? Four. Four. The University of Scranton did a study where they found out that just 8%, 8% of people who set New Year's resolutions and set goals end up achieving those goals by the end of the year. So why do we even bother? With a failure rate like that, why do we do it? I don't know what your resolutions are this year. Maybe it's to be a better reader. Maybe it's to be a healthier, stronger version of yourself. Maybe it's to stop procrastinating or to stop scrolling through social media for so much of the time that we do. Maybe your goals are more weighty than that. Maybe this year your resolution is to kick an addiction and get help for it. Maybe your goal is to work on your marriage or spend more time with your kids. Maybe your goal is to this year take seriously your relationship with God. I don't know what goals, what resolutions that you have, but every year people set resolutions and they set goals and no matter what they are for, they're really all aimed at the same thing, being a better version of ourselves, a new you, a new me. And even if you're not the person, type of person who sets goals and who makes resolutions, like don't lie to yourself. Every single year, you want to be a better person than you were the year before. But here's the first question that I want us to consider this morning. Why is this year going to be any different for you? If there is a failure rate of 90% of people who set goals, make resolutions, and then do not achieve them, what's going to make this year any different? Why even try? Why even try in this new year to be a new you? 
Well, what if I told you that the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ actually has the power. It is actually the thing that in this new year can make you a new you. And this is important. I want you to catch this. If it's the only thing that you take away from this entire sermon, that would be okay. See, a lot of Christians and a lot of even people who aren't Christians, they understand the basic claims of the gospel. They understand that the gospel message is that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him won't die, but will live forever. The gospel message is God taking cold, dead souls, unregenerated hearts, and turning them into hearts that are alive, hearts on fire, hearts that beat for him. It's him taking dead sinners and turning them into his children. That's the gospel. And most people get that. Most people understand what that is. And yet while most people understand the basic claims of the gospel, they don't understand that it's more than just a ticket to paradise. It's more than just the thing that gets you to heaven. People get what the gospel is, but by and large, most people, even Christians, don't understand the practical day-to-day transformative power of the gospel. That remains largely untapped. Question, the next question that I want us to consider this morning is this. Do you realize the day-to-day significance and implications that the gospel has for you and your life? Well, that's where this sermon series comes in. My goal or my resolution for this entire series is to preach the gospel, to tell the gospel to you and to show you the gospel in such a way where you see that the gospel is the very thing that in this new year can make you a new you. That's what this sermon series is all about. And we don't have time, I wish we did, to go through every one of your goals and resolutions and I could show you how the gospel is the thing that helps you do that. So what we're going to do instead during this series is we're going to look at four areas or aspects of life that people traditionally set goals. Our series is going to follow this way. We're going to look at how in this new year, you can be a new, happier you, a new, more confident you, a new, more blessed you, and a new, more vibrant or energetic you, and see how the gospel is the thing that makes all of that possible. But today we're in Epiphany. And what we're going to look at in Epiphany is the story of Christ appearing. Christ appearing to all nations. It's not just the story of a star appearing or wise men appearing to Christ, but Christ to all nations. And here's my promise to you, that you're going to leave here hearing the gospel account of Epiphany, and you're going to be more happy than when you arrived here. You're going to hear this perhaps familiar, perhaps old story of the three magi coming and bringing gifts to Jesus. And you're going to leave here starting out a new year happier than your last year. That's my promise to you. But before all of that happiness, I first need to completely and utterly disappoint you. Is that okay? And here's how I'm going to do that. I'm going to disappoint you by telling you a little bit about this uh, epiphany account, uh, the biblical one. And I need to warn you that most of what you have learned about this story from the porcelain uh, nativity sets that you had growing up, well, it's not true. So let's first start with this, the timing. 
Nowhere in the biblical account is it true that the lowly shepherds of Jerusalem and the prominent uh, wise men of the Orient were all gathered there around the manger scene on the same night at the very same time. The Bible doesn't depict it like that. We don't know when they came, but we do know this, that in Matthew chapter two, Matthew writes this, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the East came to Jerusalem. We know it was after he was born and we know that they came from the East and that didn't happen overnight. That didn't happen in one day. In those days, travel was hard. It took some time, but we don't know when. We don't know if it was 12 days or if it was 12 months. What we do know is they came sometime after he was born. And were they gathered around a stable where there are lambs and sheep and goats? We don't know. What we do know is this, that Matthew chapter two tells us that the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And what was the place where the child was? Well, he was here. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary. Few accounts in scripture stir up as much fascination and speculation as the Epiphany account. We don't know much, but we do know this. A star arose, Magi saw it, they came to the house where Jesus was. Let's just talk for a moment about the Magi real quick, shall we? Who, who were these men, these wise men? Well, Magi is an old Persian word from which we get our word magic. What these guys were, were men who were wise, who studied a lot and studied things like astrology and dreams and fortune telling. They were into what was known as the secret pagan arts. Let's be honest, these guys were like wizards who read a lot and paid attention to what was going on in the stars. Were they kings? We don't know that. Likely they were noble of some kind or served in a royal court, but the Bible doesn't say they were kings. Just some guy who thought that we three kings of Orientar sounded better than we three magi of Orientar are why we think that they were kings. And how many were there? Well, traditionally we think there was three. Well, there's three, of course there was. But the only reason we think there was three was because there was three gifts. Some people think there could have been as many as 12, but we don't know. The Bible doesn't say. All it says is magi, plural, men, came. And it says why they came. Matthew chapter two tells us they came to worship. They said, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We have come to worship him. Few accounts in scripture stir up as much fascination and speculation as the Epiphany account, but why? Let's talk about the star real quick. The star is something that has captivated us but how is it that the wise men connected it to Jesus' birth? Did they know the Old Testament prophecy from Numbers chapter 24 that said, I see him, but not now. I will behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. Did they read their Old Testament scriptures and see, yes, this is the prophecy. This is the star. Or did God come to him in a dream? Did God send an angel to them and say, that star, that's the star that connects Jesus the birth, we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. 
Was this Haley's, Haley's Comet as what some people really study and, and think that it was? Or was it uh, Mars and Venus lining up perfectly at just the right time to make a really bright glowing star that looked like it moved? We don't know. All we know is that a star rose. A star rose and the writer to Matthew's gospel doesn't explain it. He just lets us marvel at another miracle of God. Few stories turn up so much fascination and speculation as the Epiphany account. Disappointed yet? Let's talk about the gifts. All right, one more. The gifts. What we know is this. The wise men came, and in the tradition of the day, they couldn't even meet their eyes to Jesus because they knew who he was. He was a king. And so what did they do? They saw the child, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And I know it, a lot of people allegorize a lot about what these gifts meant. Surely the gold was for his, divini- or his royalty and the frankincense was for his divinity and the myrrh was to anoint him for the death. A lot of other people say, no, 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 the gold, frankincense, and myrrh, these were for faith, hope, and love, or true reason, true faith, and and they stand for good works. Other people take it a different direction. They say the gold, that was to pay for his earthly expenses. The frankincense, that was for their worship, the the sense going up to God. And the myrrh, that was to anoint baby Jesus' soft skin with oil. But what does Matthew's gospel say? It's silent. They gave gifts. Why is it that the epiphany account stirs up so much fascination and speculation? Why is it that we allegorize about the gifts? Why is it that we theorize about the star, hypothesize all about the wise men? Why is it that there's so much sensationalizing and dramatizing of this story? It's an important question to ask. Why? It's important to ask, but really easy to answer. But you, not might, but you might not like the answer. The reason why there's so much fascination and speculation with this story is because very simply, God isn't good enough for us. What he gives us isn't good enough. The reason why there's so much sensationalizing and dramatizing of this story is because we, people, do to the story of Epiphany what we do really for every other area of our lives. We add to it. We add to it things beside what's already there. The gospel, the message of Jesus Christ living, dying for you. We do it all the time. Why is it that we set goals that don't have anything to do with him? Why is it that we make plans for our lives and our new year that don't once stop to consider his word and his will and what it says for your life, even though it's for your good? Why is it that some of you celebrated a holiday, a holy day, and didn't really pause once to consider the holy one? Why is it that some of us go about this Christianity thing and we do it without Christ? Oh, yes, we do the generosity, we do the kindness, we do the servant-like things, but we do it for us. 
We don't do it for him and we don't do it because of him. We don't do it empowered by him. The question that I want you to consider is this, why? Why does Epiphany stir up so much fascination and speculation? It's because we add Jesus and to so many areas of our lives. And the reason why we add Jesus and something else is because Jesus and Jesus and Jesus alone and worshiping him does not thrill our hearts. And it's not Jesus' fault, it's yours. It's mine. It's ours. I mean, just think about your goals and resolutions. We think, when I have Jesus and this relationship is right, then I'll be happy. When I have Jesus and my family's like this, then I'll be happy. When I have Jesus and the body, Jesus and the job, Jesus and the vacation, Jesus and more of this and less of this, and I'm more organized and I get rid of the clutter in my home, then I'll be happy. It seems innocent. It seems innocent at first until you stop and you realize what this does is it robs God of his glory and you of your joy. We miss it. We miss it all the time because we're too busy adding things to it. And it's too beautiful. It's too wonderful. And it's really too clear. Do you want to know what the epiphany story is all about? It's just about Jesus. It's just about worshiping Jesus. I mean, read through the account of Matthew chapter two again. The Magi call it his star. The chief priests and the experts in the law, they call it his prophecy. Even evil, twisted King Herod, what is he obsessing over? The Messiah, the writer to Matthew. Yeah, he writes in these really interesting characters that were there, the Magi, but they exit stage left. They go back to the East again and we never hear of them again. But do you know what we hear of again and again and again? It's the king and not the uh, insufficient, insecure King Herod who wanted to kill a bunch of baby boys. No, the king, the king of kings and lord of lords, the king, the rightful king of heaven and earth who came for you, the king whose name is Jesus because he will save you from your sins. Oh yeah, Matthew, when he writes, inspired by the Holy Spirit, the account, the epiphany account, he tells the story of the star that was there and that glowed above. He tells the story of the gold and how bright and shiny these gifts are. But all of it fades. All of it fades. We never see the star. We never hear of the gifts again. But again and again, what do we see? We see the light. We see the light who have life for all mankind. The light who, yeah, made that star, created that star, put that star up in the sky so it was a spotlight on him so that in this moment, yeah, these wizard-like characters cross through the scene, but you don't miss him. The limelight, it is there. It is on him. And it is no accident that as that star fades, his light grows. And what you see is that this light that gives life to you throughout the gospel is the light that calls us out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's what the story of Epiphany is all about. It's about Jesus, Jesus, and only Jesus. The wise men, they were warned in a dream not to go back to Herod. You know why. You know, it's because Herod wanted to kill Jesus. You want to know something interesting? The next time a king-like royal royal man had a dream about Jesus is at the climax of the gospel. (laughs) It was hours away from when Jesus died on the cross that this guy named Pontius Pilate had a dream that said, don't have anything to do with Jesus. That's what the dream his wife had warmed him. 
But you know how that story goes. You mess with Jesus anyways. He died on a cross for your sins and mine. It's interesting. You want to know the first Gentiles, the first non-Jews to call Jesus the king of the Jews? It was the Magi. The last is Pontius Pilate because he gave a gift. He gave a gift to Jesus and it wasn't gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It was a sign that hung above his cross that said king of the Jews. It was a crown that went on his head that was a thorn. And it wasn't a lot of bright lights going on on that afternoon, but there was complete and utter darkness. There was an earthquake that shook the world and raised the dead and tore the temple curtain in two. But you want to know what you hear? You hear a Gentile, a not a Jew, (laughs) worshiping worshiping at the feet of his Savior. You're a soldier, a Roman soldier at the foot of the cross. Say, surely, surely this is the Son of God. And now you see it. (laughs) This is what it is. Don't miss it. It's too beautiful. It's too wonderful to see. But this is what the Epiphany account is all about. It's about Jesus. Jesus coming to this world for all people, for all nations, not just the King of the Jews, but your King, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the Prince of Peace for you in your life. What the presence of the Magi at Jesus' side foretell is that he would be and he is the Savior of the world. And what's left? You see what's left when you strip it all away, when you get rid of the star, when you get rid of the gifts, when you get rid of the magi? You see what's left for you? Just happiness in worshiping your Savior. Look at it. This is Matthew chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. When they, that is the magi, saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Can I be real with you? The translation, they were overjoyed. That's weak sauce. (laughs) That's not what it says. In the original, there's a little closer translation. It says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They were overwhelmed. They were overcome with joy and happiness. Their hearts throbbed. Their hearts were thrilled that they had a savior and his name was Jesus and he was there. That's what happens when Christ comes. That's what happens when Gentiles come. (laughs) That's what happens when you and I come and you worship him and you get rid of everything else. You strip it all away and there he is, your Jesus for you. You see that he gives gifts. He gives gifts of far greater worth than gold. He gives you a happiness. He gives you a joy that transcends any other happiness that you will find anywhere or in anyone else. That's what your Savior gives. That's what Jesus gives. Look, just like the Magi, they went through some fascinating things, some maybe frustrating things when the star went away. I don't know what you're going to go through this year. I don't know what you're going through now, but I have no doubts that some of them are going to be frustrating, things that you go through. Some things will be fascinating. Some things might seem like a failure. Some things will be wonderful. Some things might seem just plain wrong. And although I don't know what those things will be, I do know this for certain, that through it all, your God will do for you what he did for the Magi. 
He will draw you to him. (laughs) He will draw you to him, not through a star, but through the light of his word. And over and over again, he's gonna show you Jesus, Jesus who is for you. And over and over again, what you are going to find is joy in your savior. (laughs) That's what I can guarantee you. This past week, I was talking to a friend of mine, another pastor, and he posed an interesting question to me. He, He said, Matt, is Jesus still worth following in this new year? I think it's a helpful question to think about uh, as we enter this new year. Is Jesus worth following? Because you see, while Jesus calls us by the light of his word and he comes for us, the question is, will you come? Will you follow him? Will you seek him where he's most certainly found in worship, in word, gathered together in a community of Christian people? Will you be there? As I was talking about this with my pastor friend, he shared a, uh, a letter that one of his members sent him. And I don't think this letter was originated by this member. I think, uh, I think they uh, found it on the internet or something, but it's fun to read. It's interesting to think about. The letter reads this, Dear Pastor, you often stress attendance at worship at the beginning of very uh, important times in Christians' lives. But I think a person has a right to miss now and again. I think every person ought to be excused for the following reasons that I have listed, along with the number of times that I think they should miss. And the list goes on. Christmas, two times. New Year's, one time. Fourth of July, Labor Day, Memorial Day, twice, because I have to travel home. School openings, closings, and sleeping late. And that happens about every other month. So six times. Sickness for every member in my family. So another six times. Business trips, vacation, bad weather, sports. And then it goes on and it lists more. It lists family reunions, sports, deaths, anniversaries, all these things. And it says, Pastor, after doing the math, you'll see here that that leaves two Sundays. So you can count on me to be on church on the fourth Sunday in February and the third Sunday in August, unless, of course, we're providentially hindered in some way. Sincerely, a faithful member. I think we can laugh um, because it's funny, it's a good joke, but at the same time, we can relate because far, far too many times I and you have put our happiness in things other than being in the word of God, than being in worship where our God is found. I said it before, I'll say it again. I don't know what you're gonna find, what you're gonna find in this new year, but I can promise this. When you go where your savior is, you will find that in him is everything you need for life. In him is everything that you already are. Look, 2020 is a big chunk of time. And as we look out over it, what we see is 12 months. We see 52 weeks. And this year, we see 366 days. What we see is that comes out to about 8,760 hours. That's just over 526,000 minutes and just under 32 million seconds. That's a lot of time. And I can promise this to you. If you want to be the most happy version of you, the most happy man, woman, or child you can be, it'll be the seconds, the minutes, the hours, and the days that you spend with Christ, next to Christ. (laughs) 
the question we asked before was, is it still worth it? Is it still worth it following Jesus in this new year? And you know the answer. It's not only worth it, it's worth going out of your way for. Like the Magi, Jesus is worth going out of your way for and dropping everything and traveling great distance at great cost to being by his side. Because when you go out of your way for Jesus to be where he is, what you'll see is this. You have a Jesus who went far, far out of his way for you and I. He left heaven and earth and he came here and he said, I'm gonna do a new thing. That's what he said in Isaiah 43. Behold, I am doing a new thing. In Revelation 21, behold, I am making all things new. You have a Jesus who said, I am making all things new because I am renewing you. Look, behold, everything that you wanted to do but you didn't achieve, it's been done in me. Everything that you hoped for and, and wanted, stop searching, you can find it in me. Everything that you thought that you believed and all the faith that you claimed and, well, you didn't have, I give to you. Because look, look, I'm doing something new. I'm making all things new. And in this new year, that includes you. I am making you a new you. Amen. <laughs>